This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show. Eight zero three. I want to cross the one million mark in the next two to three years on my per- personal financial statement. I didn't think that something like this was available to a person like me, but I didn't think I could get in the game. And honestly, if it's available to me, it's a if a guy like me can can be doing this. Really, you know, if you just add on one skill at a time, develop the skill of developing skills. You know, I feel like. Almost anyone can do this. What's going on, everyone? It's David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. Here today with my co-host Rob Abasolo, looking even more handsome than usual. If you guys are not following on YouTube right now, you are missing out, or maybe you're not. The distraction might be so great it's going to stop you from getting your key performance indicators done. So maybe listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify is going to be better for your productivity. Today's show, fantastic. We get into it with Andy Gill who is a real estate investor who has slowly built a portfolio based off his strengths, not his weaknesses, at a pace that he is comfortable with and has overcome some challenges that he had early in life and is very open and authentic about sharing what those were like that many of you listening may relate to. So before we get into this any further, I'd just like all of you to consider leaving us a comment on YouTube and letting us know if you can relate to anything that Andy, Rob, or I shared about personal struggles we have that has stopped us from being successful in business and how we overcame them. Trust me, you are not the only person Rob, what do you think that investors are going to find most valuable about today's show? Uh, you know, honestly, I think probably that it's okay to be weak. You know, it's actually kind of fun to figure out your weaknesses. I think a lot of people are ashamed of the things that they're not good at. And so they're, they're scared to really tell people about their weaknesses and stuff. But we kind of unpack this a little bit with Andy and uh, really talk about like once you figure out those weaknesses, it's actually becomes a strength because you can start delegating them out and uh, outsourcing it to people that are better than you at those things. And, uh, you know, I really feel like that's when you really hit the turning point in your business. So we get into that quite a bit. We talk about the ADHD component of, of our brains, me and Andy's. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. We haven't really, uh, I feel like we haven't really ever gotten deep like that before or not, not at least in a long while. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Andy. He is, he is a, a, a rare a rare mind, and I love it. Before we get to Andy, today's quick tip is, if you're procrastinating doing something that you hate, try body doubling. Rob, what is body doubling? Uh, it's basically when you ask someone to sit in the same room with you as you do something that you don't like so that you feel supported doing the thing that you hate. That's a very good definition. Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores. Not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. Rent to Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs and outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%. 5% down. Rent-to-Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on Bigger Pockets. You invest, Rent-to-Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120-plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. 
PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. Let's get to Andy. Andy Gill, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. A quick review of your portfolio. You've been investing for 20 years have done 10 deals and currently own 12 units all in Eastern Connecticut. You have a strict no T-Rex policy for your tenants. And you seem like a fascinating individual that I'm interested to interview here. So tell us about this. How is that no T-Rex policy working for you? Well, um, the no T-Rex policy... Well, first, I'll just tell you, like T-Rexes have horrible gas. And not only that, they're, they're incredibly rude, which is why we don't allow them. But the... I... When I was listing the units, I I dug into marketplace and um and and hated the way that people were presenting themselves as landlords as like, you know, I'll only reply if don't you know et cetera. And so I went to Chat GPT thinking I could. I was looking to curate a, a specific uh, clientele or a specific um uh, group of people for these units, and I really like dogs. And I think that people that take um, I found that people take very good care of their dogs also are pretty like they're they're going to be good tenants. You know, they're able to, uh, to curate the life that they want. So, um, so we, ChatGPT came up with this, uh, this no T-Rex policy as after several, uh, and it's working out pretty good. No T-Rexes have shown up. Okay. Wait a minute. ChatGPT came up for the idea of not allowing T-Rexes in your home. It sure did. Yeah. I'm not that creative. That scares me that ChatGPT not only can be practical, but it can also be creative as well. Yeah. Because uh, you you were skeptical. You're like, oh, no, it's not that good. And then I was like, hold on, let me just write a bigger pockets intro really fast using ChatGPT. And then you're like, oh, it can't be good. And then I read it and you were like, wow, that sounds just like us. And I was like, I know it's weird. Yeah, it is. It's creepy. Yeah. ChatGPT. But, you know, if you use it as a tool, um, and just kind of keep on pushing. You'll get to your your own authentic voice, which is scary, right? It worked in your case. So basically what happened is you came up with a way of advertising your units to tenants in a way that was less threatening, less demanding. Not No, this, no, that. I always see those posts where they put exclamation points. Absolutely no smoking, parties, dogs, fun, cooking, whatever the case would be. And I think landlords can get away with that because in general, the limited supply in both you know, housing to buy and housing to live in puts the power in the hands of the landlord. Of course, depending on the state, the power can shift back into the hands of the tenant, depending on what the laws are like. But if you've started the relationship off by kind of jerking them around that way, you're increasing your likelihood they're going to do the same thing back to you when they get the power. Was that kind of what was behind your thought process for why you wanted to show yourself differently? Uh, I wanted to show up uh, as my authentic self. Like we're a family business and I wanted to I know that if you, I mean, a couple of things, like I know that if I, um, if I show my real self to people, then they're more likely to share their actual situations. And so, you know, we also want to be able to, it's not just uh, revenue producing, you know, this is housing, which uh, fulfills a community need. So I wanted to be seen as an individual and not so much as a corporate entity. So, so I thought that if I presented myself in the ad this way, then I would be able to bring some guards down and have real conversations, which has been really, it's been great. It's, uh, you know, to, to be your real self, show up and people show up as their selves. What has the tenant reaction been? Because obviously this is like very different from the norm, right? So what do you hear from the people that are actually renting from you? Uh, yeah, lots of LMAOs in messages and then, you know, like, hey, let's get on a call. And so... And so it brings guards down immediately. So, um, and then, 
and then you have real, you know, conversation. So it really, uh, if I'm me, people can be themselves. So, uh, it is very different, but you know, I, I've, uh, created a career that way. You know, everything, most everything I've done is a little bit outside the box. That's awesome. And can you just quickly like, all right, give us like a sentence of like, uh, in your Craigslist ad, when you're writing this out, what do, what do you actually say? I think it said something a lot like, I wanted to be dog friendly. Like I wanted, and so I wanted to have that. Uh, displayed it was like something about like you know for for babies and whatever you know for parents something along those lines sorry no t-rex is you know uh allowed something along those lines so it was like a, a punctuation and it uh it, it worked really well that's awesome now andy we often talk about people's why in real estate but i want to know tell me about the impact that you want to have on other people well i mean this is that's a loaded question there's a lot to it but um i think that my why is I really love the conversations that have uh, entered my, like I'm actually, you're on my kitchen table right now. I love the conversations that have, that have come into my home and that I've had with my, uh, my wife and my children as a result of real estate investing. You know, I think that, you know, uh, financial freedom, you know, searching for, um, searching for financial freedom is the, the end goal. But I, but the, the leadership, you know, that I show within my house and the, the way that we can intentionally uh, do business together and grow as a family and then also bring along, you know, create win-win situations for others to come along. That's more, I mean, that's, that's, that's the why, you know, um, cause I'm in my mid forties, you know, a couple more decades and it won't matter to me, you know? So it's, uh, you know, when I'm in my mid seventies and eighties, you know, it all is going to go to the kids anyway. So I think that the, like, if you enjoy the journey, if you enjoy the process of it and you're able to do what you want to do with the people that you love and bring them along, you know, that's, that really is the, the, the why. Very cool. Do you think, uh, do you think, do you think you're going to teach your, your kids how to do this too? Is the idea to kind of empower them? And cause you said you're, you're leaving it to them. So I know that this is sort of a, I don't know, 50-50 in the community. Like some people are like, no, my kids get nothing. They have to work for it. And then, you know, I, there's the other half that's like, yeah, I'm doing this for the kids. So yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. So my, I have two children. My son, um, is 17. He'll be 18 in a couple months and uh, my daughter will be 20 in a few weeks. And, um, yeah, my son is, uh, he's, I, I have ADHD. You know, he, uh, he, he has, uh, he has ADHD and he struggled, um, in a similar way I did in school. And so, um, but he really excels as, um, like an, as an entrepreneur. Like I, I've known I was an entrepreneur well before they had a name for that, you know, and, and so he wanted to run numbers and, um, and so that's his part of like, he wants to, we want to help him buy a home when he's by his 19th birthday with an FHA loan or what, you know, 5% loan, whatever. And so we're kind of putting the, the, the groundwork in place for that. Him running numbers, um, has helped him in school. Like just the other day, he sent me a text message saying, dad, dad, thanks so much for helping me with this. You know, I have never had like a real connection to the work and he was able to actually pass math as a, a junior in high school because of, uh, because of this, because of us uh, running numbers together. You mentioned that you had ADHD. I'm sure that that had an impact on you growing up. Tell us about your early life. Did you have someone in your life to play the role that you're playing for your son to kind of help him navigate some of these challenges? What was your life like growing up? That's a that's a great question. You know, and you know, I, and I'll acknowledge that when everyone anyone says like that's a great question, they're buying a couple seconds. So I'm buying a couple seconds. You know, so hey, it's what us ADHD people yeah. do, though. You know, <laughs> that's a wonder, Dave. David, that question. We say all the time, that's a good question. What we really mean is that is a question I was not prepared to answer. I had that thought a couple of weeks ago. I heard someone say, man, that's a great question. What that usually means. I don't know what I'm going to say to that because it often isn't a great question. Sometimes we say that in reply to like, I just wasn't expecting that. What if someone, what, what does it mean when someone says uh, it's a bad question? That's a bad question. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard <laughs> And, and now I need extra time to think about how to answer your really poorly worded question. I will. I will answer your question. So... I didn't know, like I grew up in a, I was raised by a single mom, uh, for most of my childhood. And, um, and so, and there was a lot of, I grew up in a traumatic environment, you know, a lot of stuff went, was going on. And so ADHD was kind of uh, secondary. My mom was struggling to, uh, to keep food on the table and the bills paid. And so, you know, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of things going on. So I don't, it wasn't until I was like later teens that, like I knew I had ADHD, but I didn't, and I knew that I was, I was, I'm also 45. So this was in the nineties and eighties. So, um, so 
it wasn't what it is today. Like I didn't have, and I think that, I think that the result of me doing this work and trying to uh, bring attention to neurodiversity, neurodiversity is a result of being what, what I needed when I was a child. So like, so I'm a scout leader, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, you know, like, and so a lot of the roles I play primarily is to be what I needed when I was a child. I get that, man. I, I've been there and I'm, I've always, it's always really interesting to talk to like a fellow real estate investor with ADHD because it feels like for me, the, the thing that is so clear that I need to do more than anything ever is just delegate because I just am not a, a detail oriented person. I just get too scatterbrained. Is it the same thing with you when you're managing your rentals? Are you a relatively organized person or is, does the ADHD side of things ever get in the way? Yeah, the ADHD thing gets in the way all the time for uh, essentially everything. So, and I think that, you know, I think that. I spent a, a lot of my life trying to mask and to present myself as neurotypical, you know, in the different roles and the different, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for my whole life and I've gone in and out of employment due to circumstances. But I, even when I was an employee, I was an entrepreneur. So hiding that from people like that, I struggled with organization, um, took up a lot of my energy. And it wasn't in like in the last decade where I start to have the self-awareness of what my strengths are, you know, um, that I was able to kind of let you know, let the curtain down a little bit and tell people where I was struggling and where I needed help. And so the organizational component of it, like I, I rely heavily on different, um, different apps and, uh, uh, outsourced accountability, I suppose is the, the best way to, to do that, which allows me to shine in the areas that I'm, you know, that I'm great at. You mentioned neurodivergence. How did you lean into some of these strengths that you just mentioned, things you found out you were really great at? So I'm, I'm an excellent, um, I've developed skills at different uh, intervals of my career. Um, and when, when I kind of uh, realized what had been going on, you know, with the, and the impact that neurodivergence uh, or specifically ADHD has had on me, then I, I recognized that like I'm, I'm strong in strategy, like in, in due diligence, like I'm, I'm a machine. Like, and so the hyper focus component of ADHD has really, really helped me to rapidly learn and take on new skill sets, like the skill set of developing skill sets I'm a master at. So it's, it's, um, like creating systems and processes so that I can forget that this stuff goes on in an automated way is uh, crucial for me because I'll move past. And once I, once I master something, I need to pass it off because I need to go conquer the next hill. That's really the, the, the hyper focus of component of ADHD has been. Once I named it and called it out, it's my it's my superpower. And uh, you you did mention you were, you know, you this in your corporate life you were sort of hiding this and everything like that. What did you do before real estate? So, I think it's really funny that 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 that's a I'm going to say that's a great question because it is a great question. Thank you. Because I didn't realize I didn't realize that I wasn't actually in the game until recently. I didn't realize that real estate. Like owning the asset, the cash flowing asset was the was the the end game. So I've been a builder for over twenty years. You know, I've been I was developing the skills around. Um, I've been a remodeler and a builder. I've built uh, I don't know how many homes from ground up. You know, getting the um, getting the permitting in place, zoning, uh, designing the plans, and selling the contracts, and and doing all the project management, and et, et cetera, et cetera. But I never. And we did flips and we did, you know, we bought some different properties, but never with the intent to hold. So I guess like before I, I get, you know, I would now say the real estate component of my career is more recent, but it was like this. We talked about Jim Carrey before, like, you know, Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel. It was like this aha moment for me where I was like, oh, I've been sharpening the axe. And I didn't like a lot of people get into to real estate and try to develop the skills. I had the skills already and then realized that I wasn't in the game. Yeah. So t tell us about that. Tell us about your first deal. Like at what point did you actually get into real estate? Well, I've owned uh, a lot of different things, but this most recent, um, I, I mean, my first house, I guess my first house hack we'll talk about. And so, which kind of gives mindset. I bought it in 1999. And so I, I was a nurse at that time. And, um, and the lady at H&R Block told me that I was paying way too many taxes and I needed some write-offs. So I either needed to get married or buy a house. And this was in 1999. So I said, I, have, I don't have any credit. And, or I told her I had 
bad credit. And then some mortgage broker somewhere told me, no, you can qualify for a 3% loan. And so I, I stopped, I didn't want to pay rent anymore. So I found a house, um, in Rhode Island and, uh, and I bought it and I rented out the rooms and actually rented out the basement, which was when I, when you talk about a basement, I'm talking about a stone foundation that was wet. So I, I house hacked my, and I rented it to my brother, which was horrible of me, but it's, uh, yeah, that was my very first, uh, uh I bought it for $83,000. It was 7% interest. I went from a $133 in rent to $750 mortgage. I remember being terrified. I didn't know how I was going to do that, but it, you know, then, uh, the, the little boom happened and uh, we made some money. When you paid $83,000, was part of you thinking that you were paying too much? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Never goes it was, away. It was, in, it was, it was, in, it, I was like, are, are you, are you crazy? $83,000. It's funny because when we hear that, we're like, well, I'd have bought a house for $83,000. I'd have felt comfortable buying it for $83,000. But at the time, it was $83,000. You were probably wanting it for seventy-one. dollars You're like, this is just way too much. And now we're looking at $500,000 houses saying half a million dollars for that. But 20, 30 years later, we're going to look back and it's going to be worth $4 million. And we're going to be like, what? You could buy a house for under a million dollars? How is that possible? Like, It's a million dollars to use a payphone. Yeah, it probably will be. You're probably not wrong about that. If they're, yeah, they'll probably bring them back as novelties and they'll be a million dollars. Yeah. You just got to remind yourself all the time. Things always seem expensive at the moment you buy them. That's true, man. Uh, it's so many people will, they, they always like to say like, oh yeah, I mean, you got in easy and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you could literally say that about any real estate investor 10 years ago relative to the time that you said that, you know, like everyone looks like a genius in real estate when they do it for 30 years because they just kept, kept buying it. Yeah, it's like, you know, stuff is a lot more expensive than it was, just like you said. But yeah, we're going to be so smart in 20 years when it's like, man, I can't believe you got that house. Yeah. I mean, if uh, listen to this podcast, like if I go back 10 years from now, you know, or if I listen to this in 10 years, you know, the, the perspective I'll have then will be so much different. I mean, I'll listen to this and I'll, I'll think like, wow, that kid had so much to learn, you know, and it's a, uh, and it's true. You look back and see a lot of things you wish you would have done different. The number one thing is I wish I'd have bought more of it. At the time I was buying it, I thought it was too expensive and I shouldn't buy it. Now I look back, I'm like, man, why didn't I do that every year? I could have house hacked. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a family. I could have went gangbusters. But uh, all right. So you mentioned hyper-focus is one of your strengths. Is there an example of a time that this has paid off for you specifically within real estate? Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I can. we could talk about the deal I just did or you know, there's I, so due diligence is, is fun for me. Like anytime that there's, if you ever want, you know, someone to solve a problem, like, and you're in my proximity, you just go like, Hmm, that's weird. You know, and I'll just jump in and I'll, you know, I'll come in and, and do all, do all the research. I really love, like, I love tracking, um, uh, planning and zoning, uh, commission meetings. Like I know it's really weird, but, um, like I hyper-focus on, I actually, I love zoning because it's what you can do with land. So I read zoning regs, I read planning and zoning commission meetings, like their romance novel. Actually, I see the storyline in it. And, you know, it's funny because I was just telling my wife, like, Hey, this guy, this guy's an asshole. Watch what happens in this next, you know, in this next month. Like we'll talk about the, the different, uh, oh, I probably wasn't supposed to say that, but we'll, uh, you know, following things from month to month, uh, in the storylines in them, like the, the hyper focus of, getting into and immersing myself in something to find, to rapidly learn and, uh, and, um, has been very helpful. I'll give, uh, I'll say like for actually for this property that I just bought, like I went into hyper focus mode and learned everything there is about, um, like they give the tenants, you know, we look up who's in there, you know, we look up what's, uh, what's going on. I was had to actually reconstruct the, uh, I bought this fractured, um, this fractured condo association. So it was, I needed to, I was buying them as individuals, but, you know, essentially owning a a majority percentage of the HOA. So I, I had to involve myself in the, the, I had to reconstruct the business model of the HOA without actually having access to it. So that hyper-focus, like rebuilding their, their, uh, their business, um, with certainty, uh, certainly paid off. Did you know that it was a, a fractured HOA when you bought it? Like, did you, I, I don't think I've even heard that term specifically, but yeah, was, was that not a scary thing? Uh, not for me. I mean, so, you know, your careers are built upon different pillars. And so like, as I, you know, 
I lost, I, I lost my shirt in uh, the great recession and learned to be financially, I like learned financial literacy, you know, through necessity. And then, uh, at the next place I really was, I got, I had this, uh, mentor at my last job that really, really instilled in me, uh, solid business principles. And so the specific component that I did, I ran a construction department and we did about six to eight million dollars a year. And so I was always hunting like repeatable bit. Like I, I always knew that if I could find something and in large quantity, I, it gave me enough, uh, rope to make some mistakes and correct it. So I was always looking for repeatable ways to, uh, to lean out the process. So when I was looking at this, this business model, it's essentially, you know, 12 units of uh, kind of the same thing. And that HOA is just a business that has income and expenses. So it really, it wasn't a fractured, uh, it wasn't scary for me, you know, and I didn't, when I originally decided to do investing, you know, I bought David, I bought your book, you know, actually a friend sent it to me. I'd never heard of you. And, um, and so I, you know, I listened to it all and our intention was to buy single family homes. But then once we got into it and then with my experience in commercial construction and estimating in the type of construction I did, it became pretty apparent to me that multifamily was the way that I was going to be going and where my strength was. Well, especially if you love analyzing things, right? Multifamily is a playground for people that love to analyze things. I understand that you recently did a deep dive for your sister on one of her properties. Can you tell us what you did there? Oh, yeah. 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 So my, my, it's actually my wife's sister, my sister-in-law, but I, I consider her my sister for sure. She, um, have you guys ever heard of Mystic, Connecticut? Mm-mm. You guys ever spend any time over here? Foxwoods Resort Casino? You heard it? No. Yeah. Wow. Not yet. Yeah. Well, come on down. You should, you guys should come to Foxwoods. Yeah. So Mystic, Connecticut is a, is a, a is an appreciating little Mecca, little town, um, in, uh, in New England, and the so the real estate is going crazy. My sister-in-law um, loves the, the the area, and a house came on the market that had been neglected, and it was um, and it was like anything that goes up in historic mystic is gone in days, you know, like it, regardless of, of its condition. So I had to jump in and and really learn the the specific zoning laws. Like, so she wanted to build, and she wanted to acquire this property, we we're going to rehab it. And then we we're going to build an ADU in the background in the backyard. So, and really we just had like 24 hours to, to do this. So, and this is where my, this is where I excel, you know, I came in, learned the, learned the, the zoning laws, learned, you know, quickly what the, um, if it needed a special permit and like not a special permit, but like the, the definition of special permit or not, or if it can be done administratively, you know, what that criteria criteria was. And, uh, I was able to say with certainty that yes, we could do what she was planning to do to, you know, to project a, a realistic ARV of what that would be and how much income that, that, that Airbnb or short-term rental could generate in a very short period of time. Up to that point, how acquainted were you were, how acquainted were you with that process in general? I've been doing that for 20 years. Okay. So I've been, so, but I didn't know I was doing that. I was always doing it for clients. You know, I've always like, if you're going to do a renovation, um, you know, it has to make sense. If you're going to renovate something, people are either doing it uh, emotionally or as, you know, to, to keep pace with uh, the, uh, you know, with inflation. So I've, anytime you're doing, you know, as a builder, you have, things have to be, they have to appraise in order to be funded. So I'm, I was always doing that and learning how to, you know, I see the, the episodes on how to, you know, kick back, uh, you know, on an appraisal, you know, since the crash, like that's, I have a PhD in that, you know, we've been trying to get loans funded, uh, on things that are, that aren't yet built is, uh, is I've been doing that forever. Yeah. Well, that's good. That, that must have helped. I remember the first time I ever built an ADU, uh, <laughs> I submitted the plan. I mean, it was a six month process to get the plans ready and submitted to, to LA County, which, you know, they don't have a lot of regulations there. Just kidding. It was awful. And so I submitted it and I remember they gave me the plans back like three weeks later. And the entire, I mean, it was 10 pages that were all just redlined, just so many comments. And it had never done anything like that before. And I remember just like, that is one of the moments that I felt probably most defeated in my real estate career. I like wanted to cry. I was like, I cannot believe. I don't understand any of this. And I remember going to sleep and waking up the next day. And then I read it again, all the all the marks. I was like, okay, that actually makes more sense than I thought. But I, I still don't get it. And then I went to sleep and I read it again. And then all of a sudden, it really wasn't that bad. And it's like, you don't really realize it. But sometimes you really need to take it incredibly slow, sleep on it, come back to it. Because the stuff really does start to kind of 
get a, get easier once you realize that it's not as scary as it seems on the surface. The thing of the, these things, so when you're getting these things through zoning and you're getting permitting in place for different projects, you have to think of it as like playing tennis. You're doing a volley. So if you're expecting you know, a home run right out of the gate, you're going to be disappointed. So realistic ex- expectations on this, like in timeline. So it's, you're going to go back and forth on some different things and you're going to learn the, the specifics of each, you know, town and county and what they're looking for. So no one gets through on the first time, you know, it takes. That's a great, great point. Yeah. And that could cause a lot of frustration if you're the type of personality that says, I just want to look at it, make a decision, be done, move on, check the box. That's not a box checking thing. That's almost like you're sending scouts to do recon. They're coming back and they're saying, this is what the other side has. You know, okay, how are we going to strategize here? What could we do? Let's send out that and see how they reply. It's much more of a, a, a game like that. So your brain likes that type of stuff. I love that stuff. I love development. Yep. I love, yeah, any, anything that if you can change the use of land and you can like value add, like I've been doing this stuff for, you know, for a very long time. And I love the strategy of it. I love the, you know, creating the relationships and going back and forth and creating something that previously, you know, we're not, you know, God's not making any more land, but what we can do with that land is still up in, up in, uh, up in the air and how much revenue you can generate with it. So that's where I love zoning. All right. So what about some weaknesses that you outsource? What are some things that you don't enjoy doing or don't like that you outsource to other people? So this is like, these are, David, that's a great question. You know, that's a, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I like, I have the propensity to be a poor manager. Like, and, and I'll clarify that, you know, the difference between leadership and management in my brain. And I don't know what the, the actual definition of it, but, you know, management is executing the plan, you know, and then measuring that. So if I don't have, uh, if I don't have uh, breadcrumbs along the way or notifications or accountability for what the original business plan was, then I can lose sight of that. So I have to create external accountability. Like, and so I do that with, um, I work as a consultant as a, you know, doing some commercial estimating still. And I do like three or four different things, but my, my wife is my partner, like not just like in life and in business. And so she really, she's like my metronome. And so I, I'm not going to remember like anything, any recurring event that doesn't have structure or accountability around it is in the danger zone for me. And I know that I have to externalize that and vocalize, like I've learned my brain. And so I know that I, I know that I don't need to be, I don't have to shine bright. I don't have to be the center of, you know, of it all in the, I can, we can, we can shine the light on other people. And the more, more we do. That's leadership. And so, so for them to go, you're trying to get people to where they're going. That's how I view leadership and the different, the different, the different, I can't differentiator, different differentiator. I'll, I'll leave that there. Yeah. yeah. We'll trademark it if it doesn't exist. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag Andy Gill. Yeah. So <laughs> the, I outsource. Um, routine accountability and management things. So I, I do that through notifications, through different apps on my phone, through, um, you know, having people check in on me, through, uh, creating body doubling, um, body doubling. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's effectively. So, I mean, I, I tried this one time and it works well. It's basically you're asking someone to effectively sit in the room with you while you work through something just so that you feel like there's, camaraderie or, or support in that moment is that is that right yeah that's that's exactly it yeah tell someone what you're doing and sit with you and they're like all right i'm gonna do this thing that's hard for me and so i mean i may have the skill set to do it but you know and and as long as i externalize and say hey this is what i'm going to be doing this time period that time period passes and then you know state what you were able to accomplish like so for the hard things that are boring or that i don't want to do or whatever so that really is like and to be able to say you know vocally that I, I have the, you know, I have the propensity to be a, a poor manager if I don't plan well and externalize my, my weaknesses like that. That's so empowering because I can say it and, and, uh, and now we can all shine and move forward. Are you serious about making real profits from your investment properties? Then why are you paying a property manager anywhere from eight to 25% of your rent? Cut your expenses the savvy way by self-managing your rentals using RentReady with flat rate pricing that doesn't cut into your bottom line. You think I'm paying a property manager? Heck no. Get your hands off my cash flow. That's me slapping someone's hand. With RentReady, you can collect rent, screen tenants, track repairs, and manage accounting all from your phone. Are you a Bigger Pockets Pro member? Well, guess what? RentReady is already included in your membership. Haven't tried it yet? 
Well, then what the heck are you waiting for, man? We made this possible specifically for you, BiggerPockets Pro member. If you're not a pro, RentReady is offering you 50% off their annual plan. New customers visit RentReady.com and use code BP2023. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using code BP2023. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, you know, the podcast that you're listening to right now, in the year 2023 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Cut your expenses when you use Rent Ready to manage your rentals. Sign up today at RentReady.com and use code BP2023. Real talk for a second, gentlemen. 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70, but it's always been a taboo topic. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing affordable access to treatment online. That means no hassle and no uncomfortable doctor's visits. Just answer a series of questions on their site and the medical provider will determine the right treatment option for you and ship it direct for free and in discreet packaging. And it's all 100% online. No insurance is necessary. You pay one low price for treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers. If ED is something you're struggling with, Hims can help change that. So start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash biggerpockets. That's hymns.com slash biggerpockets for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash biggerpockets. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash biggerpockets for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. I think when we see examples of success, we see LeBron James, we see Michael Jordan, we see Tiger Woods. We, we only see the strengths. This person can jump higher than everyone else, run faster than everyone else, does something better. What you don't see, but is maybe even more important, is the coaching staff, the general manager, the other players that see the weaknesses in that person's approach and are actively going to fill that in. Right. The coaches are probably spending more time thinking about weaknesses of their best players since the strengths are obvious. You don't have to wonder what someone's good at that jumps out at you right away, but we hide our weaknesses. Owning that we have a weakness allows us to sort of coach ourselves. That's what I hear you saying. Right. I know I operate best in these environments. So let me bring someone in to do it. Uh, I know that I will mess this up. Let me put a person around me. It doesn't matter how well you do at something. If you go crush it at your job and then you forget to pay the mortgage every month, like you said, it's a recurring thing. And you're like, what does it matter? And it gets foreclosed in two months. <laughs> it doesn't benefit you, right? Um, you have to know where your weaknesses are if you want to be able to capitalize on your strengths. And I know that there's a trend right now, which is good and positive of people seeking to understand why am I like this, right? There's a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of self-help stuff that talks about things we went through in childhood. Uh, the word like trauma gets thrown around a lot, which is nothing against people that have legit trauma. But now it's like, oh, I my husband forgot to put the trash out and it's now we call that trauma, right? Uh, but understanding why why there's a problem is not the same as coming up with a plan to work around that problem, to become more successful, right? It's like, once I know why I'm like this, then we stop. We're like, okay, job's done. I understand what happened in life. No, now you have to take that knowledge and you have to come up with a framework that will allow you to be successful, which it sounds like is something that you've done. I'm going to guess growing up, you didn't have a whole lot of examples or people that were coaching you in this way. Is this something you sort of had to stumble into yourself? Yeah. it. You know, that's, you know, Yes. You know, when you grow up in an environment where everyone's trying to survive, um, and we grow, you know, trying to get to the next thing, you know, um, not, there's not a lot of thought process on future planning, you know? And so, um, like, even though I was around, uh, 
And even in my career, I was around a lot of real estate. We were building a lot of it. No one was investing in it and keeping it. So it didn't, it didn't occur to me to do that, you know, so I never, I didn't have an example. I had, well, I had great uh, role models in my life as a young man. Um, you know, I joined scouts early, you know, and I had, and my mom did the very best she could and I'm, and I'm at peace with that. And, um, but I didn't have, um, like the growth that I'm able to afford, like to afford my, my kids, you know, that's like, and to be able to really like at this point in my life at 45 years old, legacy is very important to me and that, um, that I'm able to, uh, provide for my children, um, the framework to be successful in, in how they define that. And that in turn makes me successful. And as a byproduct, you know, we're going to generate revenue and generational wealth. So it's really, it's, uh, you know, as a younger man, I wanted to get away from poverty and I wanted to get away from to be anything but the poor kid. And so it was ego driven. And at this stage in my life, I really could give a rat's ass what anyone thinks, of, you know, about me. You know, if you, if, if they don't, if, if I'm not your cup of tea, that's cool. You know, move on, scroll, you know, and get to the next thing. I really just want, I have my why is really clear at this point. That's fascinating. Rob, what are you thinking as you hear this? Cause I feel like you can kind of relate to Andy. You just haven't said anything yet. You are a detail person. We had this experience buying the property in Scottsdale where we, we each got to bring up our individual strengths and weaknesses, seeing how you work with decor. I mean, I was literally thinking some of the things Andy's thinking, like if I had to pay attention to this much detail, this thing would have been screwed up in the first 12 minutes of doing, I never would be able to hold my focus on bed, bath and beyond and thinking of like, what, how would this look in a picture? Like your whole brain processes information completely different. What would this look like? Would a guest want a book on it? Would they likely complain about it? I'm at like a 30,000 foot level from so many things that I need the people like you. I'm curious, is that a thing you've always been like? Is that part of why you have such a big YouTube channel and why you worked in marketing is you have this angle to see details that other people miss? And how has that served you and how has it uh, worked against you? Yeah. So, you know, there's this kind of, uh, there's this funny thing that was going around, uh, a couple years ago, I want to say it was like a meme. And so basically was saying that there are two types of people. There is someone who their inner monologue is dialogue. And then the other type of person is their inner monologue are like abstract thoughts. And so a lot of people like saw this and they're like, wait, what? Not everyone thinks in dialogue and not everyone. And then the other half was like, wait, not everyone thinks in abstract thoughts. I think in abstract thoughts. Um, I'm scatterbrained when I walk into a like a place and I'm analyzing it. I'm not like, oh, the couch would go here, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't have that inner monologue with myself. So it is for me, I walk into a place and when I'm inspired, you know, I can definitely focus on one thing, but it really is like I'm grabbing stuff out of the air and basically pulling it down. And so as much as I love that aspect about my creativity and, and what I do, I mean, my YouTube channel is very like, you know, I don't script it out. It's all ad libbed. I have five bullet points and I and I, you know. It's ADHD madness. As much as I love that side of my creativity, um, there are times when I'm like, okay, it's time to grow up and sort of own some of these things. You know, like I, I complain a lot about how I don't have enough time in my day, and uh, this has been a big business failure for me. It's like I, I close my laptop at 6 p.m., frustrated that nothing got done. It's, that's what it feels like, and so, you know. At a certain point, I have to just kind of own up that like, yes, I have my strengths and uh, and weaknesses, but I can't always like use like, for example, my ADHD as an excuse for why I'm unorganized or like why, yeah, why I'm not able to advance. And so I've been making a lot of changes to my life in the last two months. Like, you know, I've kind of talked about it a little bit on air, but I'm a not a morning guy at all. I waking up at nine would be the best version of myself, but I've been waking up at five thirty every day for the past two months, and it sucks. But it's this a, a, an action step that I needed to take to actually be successful. I, I have employees now. Um, I have twenty or twenty five people at this point that are like, you know, on my payroll. Everything. I have a family that I have to support, and so. I have to just sort of keep myself accountable and payroll keeps me accountable. So I've just sort of, I don't know, I'm changing in a lot of different interesting ways. Are you, fam- are you guys familiar with the EOS? Uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System? Yeah. Yeah. I worked at, the last place I worked at um, was where I was introduced to it and we were, we ran the company on that. I was on key staff um, and there was about a hundred employees there. And 
And the difference between the visionary and the integrator are really, it's, it's really remarkable. So what you're, what I'm hearing you say, Rob, is that, you know, that you're a visionary and you're, you're, and you're, you're, you're trying to become the integrator as well, you know, and so I'd love to see how that turns out, you know, in the way, cause it's, it's really hard to, to hold space for both and to be successful in both areas. Like to your creative mind is what created your empire. And so executing that business plan, um, you know, how you hand that off is really, and you're able to, cause you have to be, you know, the product is you. And so as you, as you release that, you know, um, and be able to, to chunk out different parts of it, you know, it's, I, I'd love, I, I can't wait to watch your story unfold. It's yeah, it's been fun, man. I think it's uh, you know, someone convinced me uh just under a year ago to hire a COO. They're like, you need to hire a COO. You can't. You're, you're doing everything, and you know, it's, it's obviously spreading you thin. And so I did. And when I did that, I was like, okay, that's great. Like it really was uh, a source of empowerment. But I still find myself failing the COO for what he needs to do by not getting him what he needs to run the business and stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's um. It's like I can stay very comfortable at where I'm at, but where I want to be in a couple years from now is I w- want to have thousands of units that are very cool, unique places. And the only way I'm going to do that is I have to sort of hunker down and like get in the weeds a little bit with my own business versus always trying to delegate it out. So it, it's a probably not the correct way. I don't know. I'm trying to figure that part out. I mean, the wording that you use, the verbs that you used along lines of like not using ADHD as a crutch to, you know, as an excuse for everything. And, and that kind of accountability is really it's really empowering to, to, to once you own it and say like, all right, well, this is an excuse. It's a, it's a reason. And then you, f- you know, fill in around that to, uh, to, be, to, to be successful in the way that you define it. You know, it really, I, I love the, I love the way that, that you described that. Yeah, man. Well, honestly, I, I feel like we kept this together pretty good for a couple of ADHD blokes and David, you, you're keeping us on the path. <laughs> yeah. And on that path, we are going to transition from ADHD to DDD. The next segment of our show is the Deal Deep Dive. In this segment of the show, we dive deep into a particular deal that our guest has done. And Andy, I understand that you've got a 12-unit property to talk about. Is that right? I do. I do. Yes. All right. So we're going to fire these questions at you. I'll start. First question. What type of property is it? It's a fractured uh, condo uh, community, 18, 18 units, and we bought 12 of them. And before Rob asks this question, do you mind repeating what the definition of a fractured condominium is? A fractured condominium uh, complex is one that was intended to be a single, you know, owned by one, by individuals with an HOA. And at some point, um, turned towards investors and became majority investor owned. So it's, um, there's a lot of uh, potential upside. Yeah. As I see it. So the, the complex was owned by the people. Sorry. Every unit of these 12 was originally owned by someone different. Mm-hmm. And then they had an HOA that governed to make sure your neighbor, you know, didn't paint their house Pepto Bismol pink or played loud music or whatever. Then the people who originally owned them sold them. Investors came in and bought them. Then they started renting them out. So the HOA rules had to be adapted to accommodate for the fact that a lot of tenants were going to be involved. Is that basically not real? Not re- yeah. So that's where the opportunity was. Is uh, I don't want to. Um, is that. As a majority owner, I essentially get to dictate what the bylaws are, and and if at some point you know to change the declaration, um, the 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 condo de- declaration. So, um, yes. So you're you own all twelve units that were originally owned by individual people. I own. Uh, well, on the, we're, we're closing on the thirteenth next week, but yeah, there we'll own thirteen. There we go. Yep. Okay, so twelve units in a complex that has more than twelve. Yes, twelve units in a complex of eighteen. I'm sorry. Yeah, all right, there we go. All right. How did you find the 12 units? Um, through a, um, a real estate agent, um, that is a friend of mine and he was posting a completely different, uh, property that I engaged with and we got on a call and it was a pocket listing. Um, and which essentially meant to me that the, the, the seller was not, you know, willing to commit to any particular agent. And I was correct about that. And, uh, commitment issues. Yep. Commitment that's issues. right. I bet you that's part of why you got such a good deal on this thing. It doesn't always serve you well to try to be in an open relationship with your agents. All right. So how much did you pay for this thing? Uh, 1.2 million for the 12 units. And uh, how did you negotiate it? This is a, um, so this is really hard to buy actually. The, the seller who is, I still talk to you three times a week where we've become good friends. Um, he had it teed up for a cash out refi. 
through the a local bank here. And so he really didn't care if he sold it or not. So I offered asking and he said no. So then we when we got into the 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 details of it, um he didn't want anything, you know, didn't any item less than five hundred dollars was on me. And I was like, let's get to a definition of item. And then he was like, no. And so <laughs> then I couldn't see it. And so I said eventually, like, hey, let me see the units and I'll buy them as is. And so we were able to meet. He's a builder like me, puts his pants on one leg at a time. We became fast friends. He realized that I wasn't going to lock him up in a, in a PNS and then start chipping away. I was intended to pay what we were. And we did that. So that's a, the negotiation was tough. It was, uh, but once we got in, I, I realized it wasn't a real problem that we were fighting. And once we got into a, you know, I could, if I could get him into the room to have a conversation that we could, we could learn if we, you know, this was a good fit or not. And I was, I was spot on. I like what you said about it wasn't a real problem. He was trying to prevent something that he thought could happen that you didn't have any intention of doing. That's beautiful. Right. Yeah. Rob. Oh, is it me? Sorry. This was such a great conversation. Is this the ADHD? Uh, how did you fund it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. So, so he had a, he had it teed up for a cash out refi at the local bank. So the appraisal was already done. I didn't know this at the time, you know, when we were negotiating it. So I have a partner in this deal. And so we, um, we went to the bank and we essentially, and we assumed that there was already a, a commitment letter that was issued to them. So we just requalified and within two or three days and we got a commitment letter and, and we uh, went off to the races. All right. Now, this is probably the most fun question. What did you do with it when you bought it? Well, it had it had tenants in it. So the the um the the seller and I hit it off really really well. And so we the I really take my hat off to the agent cuz he essentially stepped aside and allowed this to just happen cuz we were going to solve the problems together. And so and a lot of people their ego get in the way of that and he really did a great job by, you know, kind of uh taking him back. Um and so we filled the units like he there were a few empty units, but he really wanted me to, he knew that this was going to be my, my launching, you know, of this. And he really wanted that to be successful for me. So, um, I, he filled the thing up and we, um, and so we took it over, you know, and, um, was able to introduce myself to the tennis. Not everyone was happy. I was there. And, um, and that's, uh, and we've, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've switched over a few of the tenants. You know, I think at this point we're going to be up to, I think we're up to five that we're, we're qualifying ourselves, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really great property. Because it's one bedroom, one bath. It's in, are you guys familiar with uh, Electric Boat, the submarine capital of the world, Connecticut? I don't know if, so we have 20,000, the EB is, you know, the government is launching a new submarine uh, line. So they're doubling down. There's 20,000 employees and they're adding another six, 7,000. So any, any units within a 25, 30 mile radius is pretty much insulated from this uh, recession that potentially is coming because all the tradespeople are being picked up there. So we're kind of being propped up in that way. So I know that there's a huge shortage of these, these rentals and it's, and I'm marketing to professionals that will be buying in the next two years. So I understand there's going to be a lot of turnover. Wow. That's a, that's good intel. You've just ruined that market for yourself. I hope you know that everyone at home is like, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, this, no one listens to this podcast, right? This is, you guys yeah, have a, a pretty, small, yeah. it's, it's up and it's, coming. It's a small niche thing, yeah. What lessons did you learn from this deal? What lessons did I learn? I learned that. So this is this deal probably put me on a path for multifamily. I learned that that if I take on like I took this property on and the the rent roll was thirteen two, you know, it's currently at. Uh, encroaching 15,000. So that's like a 12% increase. And I learned that, I learned that anything over five family, um, you know, I can generate my own, I can, I can increase my valuation. I can create wealth this way. You know, I, I learned, you know, about the five year arm, you know, that's, that can be a bit scary. But if you are super analytical, like I learned this is where I want to be. You know, I, I'm going to do, re, I'm going to do renovations and flips and things like that to fund these multifamily, you know, these multifamily deals. That's uh, I learned that this is where I want to be. That's awesome, man. Well, final question. Who was the hero on your, on the, on the team for your deal? This would be my wife. Uh, you know, uh, I have this squirrel brain, this crazy, and, and I mean it too. It's a, uh, it's uh, you know, we've been together for 23 years and we met as kids at, you know, 22 years old. And, and, uh, you know, we've been through an awful lot of, uh, ups and downs and we have a child with cystic, my son has cystic fibrosis. You know, we've, we've, uh, we've really been through it all. And, you know, uh, she is the timing for me. You know, she's, she sets the pace, you know, she sets the standard for, for, uh, for our children, for myself. And she, you know, her, her belief in, uh, in, in us and what we can do together really, um, it would, none of this would, none of this would happen. Awesome. 
I mean, I've, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that their wife was the hero of the deal, but that's very cool to hear. Especially because if you think about it, in order to keep you operating at your best, she's got to figure out like, well, what are the weaknesses that we talked about? How do I cover for that? Right. So uh, that is what heroes do. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if I took, yeah, my wife is a therapist, a uh, mental health therapist and my daughter, you know, so it's, it's great to have a, a live-in therapist. That's awesome. <laughs> I need to marry a live-in masseuse. My body is always sore all the time from all the various sports injuries. Now that, now you got me thinking here. Yeah. No, you put that out to the world, you know, Hey, all masseuses, <laughs> David's looking. All right. So, so what's next? You mentioned that you have some tenants in the pipeline that are contracting for work and you recognize there's going to be turnover. Have you already started thinking about systems in place that you're going to use to kind of uh, handle the vacancy that you know should be coming? Yeah. I mean, as we grow, you know, I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't have a specific quantity of units I want to get to in the next couple of years, but as we grow the systems, um, like we'll probably outsource that to, um, agents, you know, um, to, to fill those vacancies. But I think that are really well, like I have a, I have a pretty good following on Instagram and that's from being relatable. And so I think that if we reach out to people, um, and, and advertise the units well, like really show them, you know, creatively, then I think that they'll fill I don't think I'm not really all that concerned about vacancy as long as we act. If we don't, you know, if we don't, if we don't know they're coming, you know, communicate with the people that are leaving and make sure that we have a, you know, a runway and, and people in place to do that in a timely way. I don't think that we're, I'm not that worried about vacancy, you know, after from the experience I've had so far. And what's as, as far as what's next, you know, the, I, I really, like I said, I really love zoning and we're, we have a couple deals in the pipeline right now that are potentials, but no, no contract. You know, there, Connecticut has this, um, this 830G um, law for affordable housing, where it essentially overrides local zoning to uh, to allow for uh, zoning rechange for affordable housing. And actually, today, you know, I think the 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 they announced like a almost an eight percent increase of what you know eighty to one hundred percent affordable housing um, income levels are. So that expands the amount of people that that fall into that. So we're looking at a property potentially to develop into you know twenty to thirty units. I don't know that it'll go anywhere, but this is like. This is what I'm, this is the pipeline along that I'm thinking. We want to eventually get to like a, a short term to midterm rental, you know, hosting, like to get to a percentage of that to kind of, uh, and that's where my wife wants to come in. But yeah, we're looking, we're looking. So Andy, before we, uh, before we wrap up, can you give us a general idea of your portfolio numbers and kind of where you're heading with your current portfolio? Like how fast is it growing? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're currently at 12, uh, and we're going to be adding the 13th unit, uh, next week, uh, through a kind of a creative financing deal. And, um, and I like my goal. I don't have a goal number, but I have a goal, like, but I have like an aspiration. Like, I think we're going to get to about 30 units in the next, uh, 18 months or so. If, uh, if, if things go well, you know, I think, you know, depending on what interest rates do, you know, they pause today, but they'll probably come up a little bit, you know, a couple more times. You know what cap rate is is uh, is attractive is uh, is to be seen. So I don't really know exactly. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay in touch and connected to it and uh, and move fluidly. I will find. You know we will find the deals, the value add deals um, in my local market. I'm not quite comfortable reaching out yet to outside of this area, but I'm starting to play in that. And uh, what what would you say like you know, what would you say your total portfolio worth is now after years having kind of built this thing and, and expanding it? Um, I think we're, I think about 1.8, I think is where we're at right now. And, um, and, you know, half of, you know, I have a partner on one of those deals. So, um, it's, I think that will be like to, my goal is to be, and I, and it's, it sounds, I hate to say this out loud, but in the, in the, uh, but I think it's important too, because, you know, the relationship people have with money is, is important. I think that a lot of, a lot of listeners, uh, it's a dirty word. You know, I think in the coming two to three years, I want to have a, a net worth of, uh, 1 million. Uh, to, to, I want to cross the 1 million mark in the next two to three years on my per personal financial statement. And that's, and I don't even feel like that's aspirational. I didn't think that something like this was available to a person like me. You know, I didn't think that, like, I knew all the, I knew, I, I knew how to build, I knew how to, you know, run a business, knew how to do all this stuff, but I didn't think I could get in the game. So, um, that's where I, you know, I don't, I don't really care about the, the unit count so much. You know, I think that's where I want to be, but, um, you know, it'll create some freedom. And, um, and honestly, if it's available to me, it's a, if a guy like me can, can be doing this really, you know, if you just add on one skill at a time, develop the skill of developing skills, you know, I feel like almost anyone can do this. 
And you're still working for a builder while this is going on? No, I'm no, I'm a consultant. I I, I work as a consultant. I don't have a you know I'm self employed. I do ADHD coaching. I do um, I'm a I'm a contractor. You know we do uh, rehabs, remodels, and then I also work um, do a bit of consulting for estimating and uh, development. You know staff development in that area. What I love about I mean, there's many things about this show that are awesome, but one of the things that I love about it is that you didn't feel this need to jump in and work 90 hours a week just trying to accumulate assets. Uh, without picking your head up and looking around and asking why, what is the point of doing this? You just stayed in the race like the tortoise, just slow and steady. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. I know I'm doing this for my family. It makes no sense to sacrifice my family to get all these units and then brag to my kids about how they're going to own a portfolio that they never wanted. And then, then they end up screwing it up because they didn't get enough time with dad to learn how to manage it once it was handed to them or that was never their dream. You didn't overly stress yourself out from what I'm hearing, right? You were like, I don't know how I'm supposed to handle all these rehabs that I have. It can get easy to become obsessed with real estate, but real estate is not a asset class that really favors or rewards the people who sacrifice everything else just for this. It takes time to do. It is a get rich, slow scheme. It is every property becomes more valuable every year that you have it as inflation does its thing and rents continue to increase and you build better systems and you predict problems better. So you have to run the marathon. This is not a a sprint. And so many people, they listen to these shows and they say, I just want the information in 12 minutes. I don't want to listen to an hour long podcast of a story. Just give me the answer because they think that they're just going to work really hard for two years and then be done and never work again. And this does not work that way. And I think you're a great example of the right way to do it. What are your thoughts on that? I think that, you know, anytime someone uh, apparently appears as a success overnight, like, so uh, I got a lot of, a lot of, when we were posting, you know, hey, we acquired this thing, a lot of people didn't think that we were in a position to do something like that. So I think that anytime someone appears to be an excess success overnight, it's a, there's a lot of, there's years and years and years of background work to, uh, to get to that. I really like the, the, the great recession really scarred me. And so I was really, I mean, we, we took a huge hit during that. And I, to, and I was, I used to be called a gunslinger and then I became extremely conservative, you know, to where the, str- the strategy, the strategic component of me, which is my asset, you know, was refined. So yeah, I, I 100% agree, you know, that, that these things have, you know, your skills are developed day over day, you know, one item at a time and until you become, you know, technically, you know, competent technically. Um, on a various, various different skills. And, and that, that just builds. Thank you for saying that, Andy. Thank you for acknowledging building skills is important. You have to do that. If you want to be good at this, it is not a secret backdoor to success that doesn't involve having to get good at something. You got to build skills here, just like you had to build skills at the job you hated that you quit to get into real estate. I mean, that's some great advice. So many people get in and they're so angry and they're frustrated. I get the hate, hateful DMs or they come to a meetup and they just want to like, you said that I was going to get passive income and I was never going to have to work. Well, first off, I didn't say that, but you have heard that. <laughs> I don't know why you believed it. It's There is no diet where you can eat a bunch of donuts and they're not going to go to your <laughs> hips or whatever the case is. Like It doesn't work that way, right? Rob's waking up at 5.30 in the morning because that's the only way that he can do it with the circumstances he has. He's he's building skills. So thank you for being honest about that, not portraying it in a way that makes people want to go pay for your course or pay for whatever you're doing because you're selling a dream that they'll never accomplish. That's not real. Yeah. Active. Yeah. Passive income is not passive. Yeah. It's a great, it's passiver is what I tell people. It it's is not passive. passive. <laughs> That's yeah. it. It's better. Passiver. I like that. It's a uh, passish. Passish. There you go. <laughs> the Passish Investment Podcast. <laughs> All right, Andy, if people want to find out more about you or even if they want to connect, I'm sure your story is going to inspire a lot of people. Where can they get a hold of you? Well, on Instagram at Coach Andy Gill. Uh, that's a G I L A N D Y G I L. Awesome. Rob, what about you? Yeah, you can find me over on Instagram and YouTube at Rob Bilt. And, uh, you know, if this story was inspiring and you're like, wow, I, I'm going to take action or like, hey, I've, I've been dealing with ADHD and I didn't know that I could do this real estate thing. If that was something that resonated with you, consider leaving us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast platform. That way we can get served up to many other real estate entrepreneurs and uh, help them achieve financial freedom. How about you, David? You can find me on 
davidgreen24.com or davidgreen24 at all the social media profiles and let us know what you thought about this interview so you can dm any of us let us know what you thought definitely reach out to andy and then leave us comments on youtube if you're watching there we read those i appreciate you guys andy you did great man i really appreciate you being here you have a great story thanks for being so authentic and sharing what really goes on in the real world of real estate investors not the glamorous shiny tiktok videos where people are being taught how to become millionaires in a seven second video no it's just a lot of scars you know i love listening you know it's it's really it's really a a it's surreal to be meeting you know and talking to you guys after the amount of hours i've listened to you to both of you and um awesome and so i i super appreciate the uh course rob what about you any last words here that is a bad question (laughs) this is david green for rob the bad boy of real estate abasolo signing up The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.